Chapter thirty seven of the Life of Kit Carson by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. When Kit Carson and the other scouts found the main trail, they eagerly took up the pursuit. They had not gone far when all doubt was removed. They were upon the track of a large hostile body of warriors and were gaining steadily. But so rapid was the flight of the marauders that it was not until the sixth day that the first glimpse of the Indians was obtained. They were encamped on a mountain peak, devoid of trees and seemingly beyond the reach of danger. But such was the energy of the attack that they reached camp before the Indians could collect their animals and make off. The fight was a hot one for a few minutes, during which quite a number of warriors were killed and wounded. When night came, a squad of men hid themselves near the camp from which the Indians had fled, in the expectation that some of them would steal back during the darkness to learn what had been done. The dismal hours passed until near midnight, when one of the soldiers made the call which the Apaches used to hail each other. The sound had hardly died out when two squaws and two warriors appeared and began groping silently around in the gloom. The soldiers were cruel enough to fire upon the party, but in the darkness only one was killed. Dr. Peters states that on the morning of the day when the Apache encampment was discovered, Kit Carson, after diligently studying the trail, rode up to Major Carleton and told him that if no accident intervened, the Indians would be overtaken at two o'clock in the afternoon. The officer smiled and said if the agent proved a genuine prophet, he would present him with the finest hat that could be bought in the United States. The pursuit continued for hours, and when the watches in the company showed that it was two o'clock, Carson triumphantly pointed to the mountain peak, far in advance where the Indian encampment was in plain sight. He had hit the truth with mathematical exactness. Major Carleton kept his promise. To procure such a hat as he felt he had earned required several months, but one day the Indian agent at Taos received a superb piece of headgear within which was the following inscription. At two o'clock, Kit Carson, from Major Carleton. Dr. Peters adds that a gentleman who was a member of the expedition subjected Carson some years later to a similar test, and he came within five minutes of naming the precise time when a band of fugitives was overtaken. Having done all that was possible, Major Carleton returned with his command to Taos, and Carson resumed his duties as Indian agent. Some months later, another expedition was organized against the Apaches, but it accomplished nothing. In the latter part of the summer, Carson started on a visit to the Utahs. They were under his especial charge, and he held interviews with them several times a year, they generally visiting him at his ranch, which they were glad to do, as they were sure of being very hospitably treated. This journey required a horseback ride of two or three hundred miles, a great portion of which was through the Apache country. These Indians were in such a resentful mood towards the whites that they would have been only too glad to wrench the scalp of Father Kit from his crown. But he knew better than to run into any of their traps. He was continually on the lookout, and more than once detected their wandering bands in time to give them the slip. He was equally vigilant, and consequently equally fortunate on his return. Carson found when he met the Indians in council that they had good cause for discontent. 
one of their leading warriors had been waylaid and murdered by a small party of Mexicans. The officials who were with Carson promised that the murderers should be given up. It was the intention of all that justice should be done, but as was too often the case, it miscarried altogether. Only one of the murderers was caught, and he managed to escape and was never apprehended again. To make matters worse, some of the blankets which the superintendent had presented the Indians a short while before proved to be infected with smallpox, and the dreadful disease carried off many of the leading warriors of the tribe. More than one Apache was resolute in declaring the proceeding premeditated on the part of the whites. The result was the breaking out of a most formidable Indian war. The Muach band of the Utahs, under their most distinguished chieftain, joined the Apaches in waylaying and murdering travelers, attacking settlements, and making off with the prisoners, besides capturing hundreds and thousands of cattle, sheep, mules, and horses. For a time they overran a large portion of the territory of New Mexico. Matters at last reached such a pass that unless the savages were checked they would annihilate all the whites. The governor issued a call for volunteers. The response was prompt, and five hundred men were speedily equipped and put into the field. They were placed under the charge of Colonel T. T. Fauntleroy of the 1st Regiment of the United States Dragoons. He engaged Kit Carson as his chief guide. The campaign was pushed with all possible vigor, but for a time nothing important was done. The weather became intensely cold. On the second campaign, Colonel Fauntleroy surprised the main camp of the enemy and inflicted great slaughter. A severe blow was administered, but the reader knows that the peace which followed proved only temporary. The Apaches have been a thorn in our side for many years. General Crook has shown great tact, bravery, and rare skill in his dealings with them, and probably has brought about the most genuine peace that has been known for a generation. It would not be worth while to follow Kit Carson on his round of duties as Indian agent. He had to deal with the most turbulent tribes on the continent, and enough has been told to prove his peerless sagacity in solving the most difficult questions brought before him. He rode thousands of miles, visiting remote points, conferring with the leading hostiles, risked his lifetimes without number, and was often absent from home for weeks and months. While it was beyond the attainment of human endeavor for him to make an end of wars on the frontiers, yet he averted many, and did a degree of good which is beyond all calculation. I was in the insignificant settlement of Denver in the autumn of 1860, said A. L. Worthington, when a party of Arapahoes, Cheyennes, and Comanches returned from an expedition against the tribes of mountain Indians known as the Utes. The Allied forces were almost beautifully whipped and were compelled to leave the mountains in the greatest hurry for their lives. They brought into Denver one squaw and her half-dozen children as prisoners. The little barbarians, when the other youngsters came too near or molested them, would fight like young wildcats. The intention of the captors, as I learned, was to torture the squaw and her children to death. Before the arrangements were completed, Kit Carson rode to the spot and dismounted. He had a brief, earnest talk with the warriors. He did not mean to permit the cruel death that was contemplated, but instead of demanding the surrender of the captives, he ransomed them all, paying ten dollars apiece. 
After they were given up, he made sure that they were returned to their tribe in the mountains. This anecdote may serve as an illustration of scores of similar duties in which the agent was engaged. It was during the same year that Carson received an injury which was the cause of his death. He was descending a mountain so steep that he led his horse by a lariat, intending, if the animal fell, to let go of it in time to prevent being injured. The steed did fall, and though Carson threw the lariat from him, he was caught by it, dragged some distance, and severely injured. When the late Civil War broke out, and most of our troops were withdrawn from the mountains and plains, Carson applied to President Lincoln for permission to raise a regiment of volunteers in New Mexico for the purpose of protecting our settlements there. Permission was given, the regiment raised, and the famous mountaineer did good service with his soldiers. On one occasion he took 9,000 Navajo prisoners with less than 600 men. At the close of the war, he was ordered to Fort Garland, where he assumed command of a large region. He was Brevet Brigadier General, and retained command of a battalion of New Mexico volunteers. Carson did not suffer immediately from his injury, but he found in time a grave internal disturbance had been caused by his fall. In the spring of 1868, he accompanied a party of Ute Indians to Washington. He was then failing fast, and consulted a number of leading physicians and surgeons. His disease was aneurysm of the aorta, which progressed fast. When his end was nigh, his wife suddenly died, leaving seven children, the youngest only a few weeks old. His affliction had a very depressing effect on Carson, who expired May 23, 1868. End of chapter 37